0: fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever and with fishing booker you can experience it too no matter where you are discover your next adventure on fishing booker
1: today's podcast is brought to you by stealth cams i like trail cams they're very nice and i like to run sailor non-sailor especially for whitetails especially for elk i leave cameras out year round in many places even when i don't have a tag i've been known to drive out there in the summer put cams out because i might have a tag the following year and i need that information not only elk densities but predator densities animals behavior if they're coming through a certain area how they travel when they travel when does the snow come when does they they come back from the winter. When do calves drop? When do bulls peel their velvet up? You can study, leave those things on video mode. Two discount codes to know when it comes to Stealth Cam. 20% off non sale is elk shape 20, 10% off cellular is elk shape 10. They have an array of plans if you're gonna go with the cellular route where you can dictate how many transmissions you need to get what you need to see what you need to see. Stealth Cam is definitely the most reliable Trail cam system that I've ever ran. Welcome to the Oak Shape podcast. We're sitting down today with the instructor who taught us that we suck at using handguns. <laughs> and we also have Tyler Denham. He helps me run the uh, actually he runs the Oak Shape Gear channel. He's my hunting partner and if you guys he's been on the pod before. We've known each other since we were in diapers. And um, he's Captain Firefighter. And then we have Damon. From California, what's your last name? Tran. And you do
2: cool stuff for a living. Uh, ch- sure.
1: I don't even know if I can. can I bring <laughs> it up or? Yeah, no,
2: that's no, it's totally fine. I just, I think uh, on the outside, it, it's uh, it sounds and looks, looks like it could be a sexy job. Uh, and I think just being in it for as long as I have, it's like, well, I get to do cool stuff, but I, it's not as sexy as people think it is.
1: Okay, tell us some cool, sexy things that you do. <laughs> Just hit highlight reel. This will be like the uh, social media version of your life. What Uh, is the
2: highlights? uh, Marine Corps veteran. um, Got out and got into the private security industry, uh, doing security for a high net worth client. And um, left there to chase after a career in law enforcement. Uh, Long story short, I ended up getting hurt. And that was essentially the end of my career there. And then I went basically right back into what what it was that that I knew. Which was private security again, um, and in the process of that, I, I got a chance to dabble off to the side doing um, bail enforcement. For those that don't know what that is, it's it's a bounty hunter. Um, and uh, and then I've been teaching professionally for since I think like 2005 after I got out of the Marine Corps. That was evident to me today
1: that you are a professional instructor, just because you could see you could cue. You could give me verbals, you could show me visually, you could do tactile, um, and then you didn't overwhelm me with too many things to think about, and um, I had a lot of work to do. But we'll get into that. First and foremost, you're also a bow hunter. Yes. That's that's like what started this whole thing. Is, a baby bow hunter. Yeah. You just got a bow how long ago? A year and a half. And since that day that you picked up the bow, your guns, your pew-pews have taken a back seat. <laughs> yes explain that phenomenon?
2: Yeah, I just, uh, I I bought my first recurve back in like 2011, and I, and I I fell in love with that and that was a lot of fun, but I, I don't think I took it as seriously, because um, it was just like a leisure thing, like I did it because it was just fun. And then, um, I I'd always wanted to hunt, and um, understanding that when you decide to bow hunt, that you have seasons that open earlier in, in the year, sometimes you get extended seasons because of it, and so I thought that was a really good opportunity to... Um, Get more days in the field. So when I bought my bow last year, and I'm I'm kind of a weirdo in that like I have this like horrible addictive personality that when I get into something, I dive in it like hardcore. And so, I mean, I think within like six months after buying my compound bow last year, I like had a bow shop in my backyard. Like I was really working on my own stuff because I wanted to learn it. And not to say that I'm good at doing that, but it allowed me to really become more familiar with my bow and how it operated. And, um, if I needed to fix it or work on it somehow that that I could do that myself and I have to rely on going to a bow shop so uh that's that's kind of how that started and so because of that i, I had it was really exciting to me because I was getting into something that was brand new and I sucked really bad, and I still suck now and but it, what I like about it is that it forces me to really dive in and become better and think more about the shop process and you know from working out and getting certain muscles a little stronger allowed me to pull higher poundage bows and holding more steady and that kind of stuff. So um, because of that, my fascination with archery and just watching the arrow flight is just that—it's so cool to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and that ended up making me kind of neglect the firearm side <laughs> for a year and a half. Um, I, I, I got a chance to shoot my gun a few times. Most of it was from qualifications necessary in order for me to hold the licenses that I, I need in order to do my job. Um, but as far as, like, actually setting out a range day where I'm going out there with a few hundred rounds and shooting on a shot timer and see how fast I can go and how accurate and that kind of stuff, like, I didn't do that at all for the last year and a half. So that's how addicted I am to archery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool.
1: I, we shot a little bit today. Yeah. I don't think you suck. Tyler, do you think he sucks? <laughs> no. If, no, he does not suck. If you suck, then I suck. <laughs> 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 I was hoping I didn't, but maybe I do. Well, that's cool. You've you basically... We're in town. We kind of coordinated this through social media, and then the day came, and yeah. you were here, and we kind of set... You guys will have to check out the YouTube video we made today. It's pretty, Poor Jeff's downloading all the footage right now. Looks like yeah. he's over 300 <laughs> gigs. Yeah, much
2: respect to that guy, man. That's, he's going to be watching a lot of stuff.
1: He is. but But give the timeline of kind of what we did today... Yeah, a 1,000-foot view so people can sure. understand the steps that we had to take.
2: Yeah, so we briefly talked about um, just our gear in general because as uh, bow hunters, we usually are out in the field with our vinyl harnesses and stuff like that, and so we had to talk about some of the nuances that you're going to have to pay attention to as far as holster types, where it gets mounted and how you can have access to your gun. And then we talked about safety, uh very basic marksmanship fundamentals, which I think is really important. I'm all about mastering the basics. Uh, and then after that, we went into uh, safely and efficiently drawing from the holster, acquiring your sights, prepping triggers, and having a, a efficient um, a trigger pull in order to increase your accuracy. So that was kind of the overall, I guess, uh, uh, take on what we did today.
1: In your opinion... What are the parallels between the activation of a shot with a bow and a pew-pew? Where are they completely different? Uh,
2: what's similar is that, obviously, you're still using some level of sighting system in order to get your stuff aligned. So you still have a sight alignment sight pitcher. Um, and where a lot of people, the reason why people miss targets or don't shoot as tight of the group, because there's all kinds of weird stuff that we're doing with their hands. Um, and you have things like anticipation. So when you anticipate with a bow, you either drop your bow hand or you punch triggers or whatever, and that affects your accuracy. When you do that with a the pistol, then it affects your accuracy even more because you have a much shorter sight radius um, compared to a bow. And so you'll see that even at very close ranges, that if you're not really good at staying calm and not anticipating that shot, that with the pistol, even at five yards, I mean, you could. I've seen people miss an entire target. I'm not talking about missing the bullseye. The entire cardboard that the target sits on so um that's where they sit they're very similar <clears throat> where they're different is that um the reason why i think most people freak out about the whole anticipation thing more so with the pistol because you've you're literally getting you have a an actual explosion going off in your hands it's all happening inside that chamber so you have this loud noise you have recoil that's going on and this this machine that's moving on your hand or in your hand um that it it makes you do weird stuff that decreases your accuracy. And so with the bow, you have some of that, but it's nowhere near as violent. You know, I mean, if you're shooting guns, especially when we were starting to pick up the pace a little bit, you were noticing that your groups are starting to expand because you're doing more of whatever that is, right, whatever those those deficiencies are. So that's, that's how they're different. Mm.
1: Yeah. Well, the premise of having you come out really was Tyler and I having a conversation about, like, hey, like, We've hunted a lot of places where grizzlies are, and I probably have a low level fear of black bears because I've hunted them for 20 years with a bow and I try to get as close as possible to them. And every freaking time I don't kill one, it's because they smelled me and they run as far and fast away from me. They're not, never had a black bear. Even sows with cubs, like maybe a little, but ultimately they want nothing to do. Whereas a grizzly bear is a whole other animal. Mm -hmm. Specifically a sow with cubs is just a different animal. Like, you know, black bears don't really take down a full-size cow elk. You just don't see that very often. Now black bears definitely eat calves or leftovers. Yeah. But, and I'm sure there's some instances where a black bear has killed an elk, for sure. But not nothing compared to a grizzly bear where, like, they could actively— run and catch and kill a 500, 600-pound cow elk or bull elk. Uh, so they, there is a little bit of a disconnect. And also, you can't hunt grizzlies in the lower 48. So a lot of them haven't never been hunted. Yeah. So why would they have anything to worry about? You know. Exactly. Uh, and their population is definitely increasing. And they're starting to overlap more and more places that we want to go elk hunting. I'm getting it's a long segue, but bottom line <laughs> is like, like bear spray is cool and I should carry it more often and I don't. Gun spray is cooler, in my opinion. I feel better about having gun spray with me because not only bears, but whatever else. What if you run wolves, yeah. wolves bad human beings? I mean, yeah. literally anything, right? Yeah. So basically, I knew I didn't have any efficiency, no education, no foundation, uh, and I went and shot. I own some several handguns, and I went and shot with my wife this summer. And dude, we were the people you were just talking about. We could hardly hit paper at five yards, Mm -hmm. and we were like, "Wow, we need instruction." So when you offered your services, it was like, "Yes, please." So I noticed like the first thing was like unholstering. Like Tyler and I did not know our equipment, so I'm running a marsupial with what's that called that kind of the thumb break a thumb break yeah underneath I like where it sits ergonomically it fits it's comfortable okay that's step one i'm going to actually take it into the mountains tyler what do you have
3: kind of I think it's a leather shoulder harness thing that <clears throat> i think it's like alaska alaska something i can't remember the exact name of it but it's a leather holster that kind of sits below my harness and it's kind of a cross draw type of a holster
1: Okay, and you're going to carry that handgun with you, maybe. Well, right,
3: right now, that's the only handgun I own. And so. it's a forty-four. It's a forty-four mag. Um, it's a Taurus Tracker, so it's a five-five round. Um, it's a medium frame revolver, and like I said, I've had it for a long time, and um, I basically bought it before ten millimeters were really a thing. So that was the best bear defense gun I felt I could get at the time, and after today, um, definitely. Even though it's it's ported, so it's supposed to help with recoil. Um, the recoil on that is significantly more than the the ten millimeter, and uh, it's it wasn't near as fun to shoot as the ten millimeters were, and which translates into i'm gonna practice with it less i'm gonna shoot less rounds because it's not as fun like you go out to the range and you shoot half a dozen rounds and you your hands start to hurt because of the recoil or poor ergonomics of the of the gun and for some reason that one like does something when i shoot it to where it hurts my fingers yeah and so um it's just not as fun to shoot. So I don't shoot it enough to be as accurate with it. And right out of the gate, I was more accurate with the 10 millimeter than the 44. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And at one point, I mean, your groups, like you, you shot a ragged hole, like all of your bullet holes were touching each other. Yeah. I think it was, think it was an accident. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's good coaching. You just applied the fundamentals the way that you were supposed to. And that's what you did, what you did. Yeah.
1: I bought a 44 mag when I went to Alaska. Uh, this is oh, I was like 21. I think the first time I went to Alaska and I went solo, uh, I was definitely in grizzly bear country. So I I bought an ultralight Smith and Wesson 44 mag, and that thing is literally the my least favorite thing to shoot. I have the least amount of rounds through that handgun. And then it wasn't just till last year where I was like, kind of had a a 40 caliber like a Glock 23 that I had for years, and I'm like, you know. We're starting to hunt more and more grizzly bear areas. This is I need to either carry this forty four revolver with six rounds, and they're all bear loads, or check out this ten mm. So I bought a Glock 20, mm-hmm. and then I got a uh, a Sig P320, and I have, so I have two and uh, two .10 yeah. mm's, and I shot both today, and I really liked the Sig. Yeah. And Tyler, you didn't get a chance apparently to shoot it at all. No. So you shot the Glock 20 mostly today. Yes. Okay. That was the yeah. only
3: I. Between that and the, my forty four, those mm. were the two I shot. Why
1: yeah. do people, like, can, are people going to argue with us that the, a grizzly bear, you need at least a 10 millimeter or a forty four mag? Like, is that ex- generally accepted in your community or would people be like, oh, no, you could get away with the three fifty seven?
2: Yeah. Or... Uh- I, I, I'm sure there, uh, there are a 1911, yeah, there's some people, yeah, there's some people that will just, you know, they're dying at home with, with whatever caliber and look at the end of the day, um, you, you want to carry whatever it is that you've had the most training with and you're the most confident and, um, uh, comfortable with at the end of the day, you know, like we're never going to really know until that time happens, God forbid, if you needed to use it, if it's going to be effective or not, you just don't freaking know. Uh, however, the higher the caliber for bears, cause they're just a different animal. And when uh, there's just, I, I mean, I, as far as I know, I don't think there's a whole lot of studies right now as far as internal ballistics on grizzly bears. W- you know, um, we know what rifles do to animals. Yeah, but, but these I've,
1: are not rifles. There's correct. no hydrostatic shock it, with correct. a handgun. What's the feet per second on these guns we're using today? Uh,
2: I don't know. I don't know about 10, um, 10 mils. It's probably going to be something like 1300 mm-hmm. to 1500 or something like that. Maybe that. some of the hotter loads might be like two or something like that. I'm not super familiar with 10 mil. Um, but, uh, so when you go in the whole pistol thing, people don't generally shoot a whole lot of bears with pistols. Not to say that it doesn't happen, but I, I know that there are people that do hunt with bears, uh, with, uh, 44 mags. So I've heard of that before. I think some have done it with 10 mils, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But when you start going to some of those smaller calibers, I mean, I mean, you're, you're really trying to just affi- uh, afflict as much damage as possible. And some of those smaller rounds, um, I don't think it. Uh, they're just not going to be that effective. I don't think.
1: I had a dude on this podcast, and I can't remember his name, but he was a guide in Wyoming, mm-hmm. and he his boss is not alive anymore. Mm. And it was like, as soon as you kill, they've taken these clients in the backcountry country, of Wyoming, and as soon as you kill an elk, like, and it's down, it's like, okay, I'm gonna like have the client basically watch my back like it's not two guys working yeah. together to, to work up an animal mm-hmm. it's like no they heard the gunshot it's it's really the gunshot it's like yeah or whatever the smell we i would assume it's probably the dinner bell gunshot but like these bears are getting pretty informed in the back country yeah. and so it got to the point where he said like the client will have to watch your back and then the guide who's probably cut up a lot more elk is just going to bust his butt but what they're not doing is they're not like breaking down an elk and like hanging quarters and like oh we'll come back and get the second half tomorrow like no it is like you have to get it all right now because a bear is going to be on it tomorrow guaranteed and anyways his he had a client that um i can't remember the details you guys but it's on one of my episodes and the bottom line is is that a guy killed, his client killed. Bear ran and charged him. His boss came to help. And I don't know what the long story short is that Grizzly won. Mm. The guy who the outfitter is dead. And everybody unloaded their guns on this bear. Yeah, Bear did die. And that the federal government flew in whoever, biologists, federal game wardens, And everybody got interviewed, including the freaking cook, Hmm. who wasn't even there, to make sure that all the stories lined up. I guess my point of all that is, like, think about how vested the U.S. government is to spend tax money on a biologist, a federal game warden, helicopter fuel pilot, time, and then interview everybody when it was kind of like a – probably a pretty black and white case of where, okay, this – yeah, this bear's dead, but so is this dude over here who's been outfitting Wyoming for 30 years. So Bob Lagasa is a guy who shoots tacks with us, and if you guys don't know, watch one of those tack videos on YouTube. He's the dude wearing the Borat suit. <laughs> He'll bust that out sometimes. <laughs> but Bob's got a whole YouTube video with us where, I mean, he explained the story, but, dude, he got crushed. Is it Livingston, Montana? Does that sound right? Yes. Just okay. near Ennis? Yeah. Kind of right over there? Mm-hmm. A lot of G-bears. And... um Apparently, some people get offended when you say G-bear. So, I, I've read. I've,
3: <laughs> I have no idea.
1: Grizzly bears. And so, Bob got attacked sneaking in on a herd of elk yeah. threw alders, ran into a sow, caught her off guard. She had cubs. She was on him in seconds. He busted out bear spray, and then his partner busted out bear spray. They sprayed the bear. Didn't matter. I mean, the bear was just closed the deal, and it ruined Bob's season. Bob got yeah. his arm broke. Face cut. Went right to the hospital. Yeah got sprayed with bear spray himself. <laughs> and uh, so I guess a lot of guys, um, especially out-of-staters who are coming out west, a lot of them avoid mm-hmm. hunting grizzly bear country because they just don't want to deal with it. But, friends, there's just more and more grizzly bear country. They're expanding their territory. There isn't a hunting season. There isn't a management system in place yet. I don't know if there ever will be. And so that hunter-grizzly bear conflict I'm not here to tell people that bear spray is the only solution. It's definitely a great solution. Mm-hmm. But I am saying that my solution is to carry a 10mm. That's yeah. what I'm going to do. And so working with you today was really just like, please teach me how to unholster. And then you, I think you gave us the, the blueprint for each of us. We have different systems, but how to unholster, reholster, yeah. obviously safety, and uh, really how to present that that handgun towards the target, the things that I need to work on. Well, there's a long list, but like one of the things you had us doing today, and I want to jump to the end, is like working that trigger from seventy to eighty to ninety to a hundred percent while pushing it away from my chest and getting extended so that when I am fully extended, I'm doing my sight picture, I'm lining everything up and I'm at ninety percent and it breaks, you know. Yeah. There's so much going on there for a guy who's just never shot guns. It's uh exciting for me. I have something that I suck at yeah. and I want to work on it. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I know it's uh, I was talking to Tyler about it on the range too that it's uh, it's counterintuitive because for a really long time, especially in hunting applications or even just leisure shooting, um, the the rules are, you know, some people will say like make sure your your sights are on target and then uh, once your sights are aligned, then you put your weapon on fire if you have a safety, and then from there you start working the trigger. And that will work when you're doing that type of shooting. But when you talk about self-defense type stuff, you don't have time to do all that. And so we didn't get a chance to break out the shot timer today because I use a shot timer as a tool in order I saw it in your case. <laughs> to actually, like, you know, you, you respond to the beep and then however how long it takes. And that thing is so freaking accurate and such a great tool because it'll tell me, how long it took from the point of the beep to when you made your first shot, second shot, and the time in between. If you transition, like today, when we're like doing the you know one, two, three across the way, it'll tell me how fast it takes for you to transition from one target to another. And so we're using data now to help us become better shooters. And it's not just like going out to the desert. And I'm not bashing anybody for doing this because it is fun. But we're not going out to the desert and blowing up microwaves and soup cans and stuff like that. So um, we're now looking at Uh, the performance side of shooting and applying data to help you become better because you if you can't measure it you don't have any metrics to go by you're not going to be able how do you know how to how you're getting better you you just can't
1: Hmm, i like that so where would you suggest tyler and i go starting tomorrow when you fly home and you got two rednecks who (laughs) learned some fundamentals today and we got 500 rounds from sig what are we going to do from here? What do you suggest? Do we go back to sharpshooters and and put that work in that? Do we need to go out to the country, Tyler's brother's house, and do some drills and skills? Like, What's a good prescription if you were to like coach us from afar?
2: Yeah, so specifically for you guys, um, you could definitely save ammo and be comfortable in your own house by just doing the dry fire stuff that we were talking about. And we spent the first half of the day doing that. And, uh, that's boring for a lot of people, not very many people, even those that just conceal carry that, 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 don't even carry guns in the back country and they don't worry about all that stuff. Even those people don't even practice with their gear. And so, uh, I can give you a specific scenario. Um, I don't remember how it was like two, three years ago. It might've been longer than that, but there was that one church shooting that was in Texas and it was that old school dude. that was like a former cop who was like head of security, that ended up shooting that, that dude in the head. Yep. So um, the very first person that gets shot by this guy, and the dude had a, I don't remember, remember—it was some kind of shotgun. I don't know if it was sawed off or not or pistol grip. I think it was a pistol grip only shotgun. So it was very small and compact, and he had it hidden under his trench coat or something. Um, But he stood up and he shot the very first person that was next to him. And then there was another guy that had a few rows back that had stood up, and he actually reached behind his back because he kept um, his gun in a... Uh, what we call an SOB or small of the back holster. And he was reaching back and trying to grab it. And it, his, his gun wouldn't come out of the holster and he ended not getting shot and he died. Um, and then as uh, the shooter turned around and started aiming um, towards the pasture up on stage, the security guy in the very back um, made a headshot on the guy while he was moving and dropped him. And so... Um, you know, we'll never obviously know like what all happened with that, but there's probably a good chance that this dude probably, you know, um, didn't practice with this gear and also didn't realize that, like, yeah, this is smaller back is probably not the best place to carry. You know, maybe move it to four o'clock or in between three or four o'clock or something like that, mm-hmm. um, where it'll give you a faster Where do control. you carry
1: when you're running security? Uh,
2: w- when I'm doing my job, I usually, if I'm normal wearing normal clothes, like meaning like not suit and tie type stuff, which I don't do very often anymore. Um, then I carry what's called appendix. So it's like basically like just off to the right or like the center of my, my belly. And then my spare mag is on the other side. And so it allows me to be able to grab my gun very quickly under my shirt. Um, it's a good place to have it when you're trying to like fight with someone cause you know exactly where it is. Um, and then I've had instances where back when I used to carry it at three and four o'clock, I've literally had people bump into my gun, like walking through crowds and I was like, ooh, that's not good, right? And so I've even, <laughs> I was at a, I, I was even at a, this is a stupid scenario, but I was actually at a buffet. It was like for my mom's birthday or something. I was at a buffet. And I was carrying it at my four o'clock. And I'm like, you know, shoveling f- fried rice or whatever it was on my plate. And a lady next to me reached over and like tapped me. And she actually she actually tapped my, the pistol grip on my gun. And she didn't realize what she was doing. But she's just trying to get my attention. And she was making a joke about whatever that was out or something. And she, But she's like tapped my gun. And it's like if there was another person that was like a little bit more savvy of what's going on, it would be like, what did I just tap? Because that was a hard piece of plastic that I just knocked my finger on, right? Um, I walked through crowds while I was working um, house parties for a client where they had a bunch of people. And I was walking through a crowd because I was trying to get to a certain area. And somebody walked by me really close, and they actually bumped my gun back here as well. And so like that's when I'm like, oh, I don't like that. So by keeping that gun in the front of me, um, it'd be really weird for a person to come up and touch the front of my body. That'd be really awkward, you know? (laughs) So I don't think very many people are going to want to touch the front of my body that way. So um, there are some downsides. A lot of people kind of freak out about that kind of stuff because now you've got your gun pointed in a general direction of your junk as well Mm -hmm. as your femoral arteries on the inside of the Mm -hmm. thighs. Um, So that just requires a whole lot of training and making sure that you have the proper gear that has the retention that it needs. And then, of course, as you're holstering and unholstering, which is probably one of the scariest times for any person that's carrying concealed, is during that that part. So you got to make sure that you have no clothing that's falling in the middle of that holster. And, in fact, there was a video the other day that's circulated back around again where uh, a guy had, I guess he had an undershirt that was tucked behind the holster. And he lifted up his shirt and then he put a, a gun in there. But I think what ended up happening was this undershirt kind of fell into the holster. So when he holstered it, it was fine. But then when he bent over to pick something up, that that shirt lifted up, and it it actually pulled against the trigger, and it fired a round off into his groin. And it's so not a good place to be no, shot. No, definitely not. So oh, whew. yeah, so um, so those are the kinds of things that you really have to pay attention to. Is like you cannot just slam the holster uh, with that gun. Like you really need to stop, look around, make sure that everything's clear. Uh, you have no obstructions in the holster, and then put that gun in. So there's just no reason to be like in a hurry for doing that.
1: No doubt. Well, let's have a couple of fun stories. Sure. But before that, if possible, you were in law enforcement. You mm-hmm. did get hurt. I imagine you didn't just throw your back out, and that was it.
2: Uh, what happened? <laughs> that was, so this is not an ex- exciting story either. Um, I was actually on my way back home on, on a motorcycle, and I got, I got T-boned uh, by somebody who ran a stop sign. So... Um, that was basically like how I got hurt mm-hmm. and, uh, and
1: you couldn't make a comeback.
2: Yeah, it was, well, it was a lot of, it was more complicated than just the injury, but it was also like the political stuff that was going on and a lot of shady stuff that was going on in the department. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'll just say we had to involve attorneys in, um, the union. So like, that's how ugly I got. That's like, ugly. I got, got really bad.
1: Tyler, you're part of a union. Mm-hmm. Hey, some guy messaged me yesterday about, Hey, what? what apps did I use to help pass the civil servant test and oh. the EMT test? And you know what I told them? I said, message joke shaped gear. That's Tyler. <laughs> he might know. Um, I,
3: do you know that stuff anymore? No, I, I haven't taken a civil service test. And
1: Shout out to the listeners. I did a podcast with the chief Soto Spokane Valley fire department. Yeah. They pay phenomenal by the way. And it's a really good, like a really good fire department. And they're like, he came over here and wanted to come on the pod. And uh, their department has a lady who's like oversees their marketing. And then they had like a dude. I can't remember his name. Oh, oh he's gonna be mad because he. I have. Anyways, this is, it, is it spoken Valley. Yeah,
3: yeah. They they have they do really good marketing stuff.
1: They have a dedicated social media guy who comes wow. over, sets up the whole thing with me and Chief Soto, and then takes awesome still photos and videos the whole thing and they use it and they just leverage my platform to put the word out like hey you want to hunt elk you want to live out west you could live in idaho and work at Spokane valley or live in washington yeah they were they're just struggling to get good recruits for firefighting i couldn't believe it because how long ago was it when i was just trying to be a firefighter and when did i first not
3: not very long
1: not that long ago right (laughs) it's
3: like uh i'm not sure but it it seem to all happen after covid i don't i don't know what the correlation is or if it's even a causation or just a correlation but um it seems like since covid has happened um recruitment has gone down for i i don't know for the why. first
1: time ever yeah. in the history of i mean
3: it was i got to be a firefighter for two years
1: dude it was so hard to get hired mm-hmm. i got my ego got beat up i got turned down by everybody i really wanted to work with tyler yeah Tyler works with this other guy named Ryan who and a couple other guys that are just like I love the guys over at can I say Northern Lakes? Sure. I can give them a shout out. They got some badasses there. And I had done some volunteer over there, so I like had I just knew a lot. I wanted to work for them, but that wasn't in the cards for me. So I got hired where I got hired, but it was so hard to become a firefighter then. Yeah. And now this chief comes over and is trying to like beg for good candidates <laughs> that actually are worth the shit yeah. and can like have a little like You know, toughness and make it through academy. And I just couldn't believe that. And I just thought it was such a good opportunity Mm -hmm. that people should take advantage. I mean, it's kind of cool if your chief of all chiefs is a badass uh, archery elk hunter. Yeah. That's kind of cool, in my opinion. (laughs) That's cool. But, anyways, I wanted to not (laughs) derail this from I know you did a stint as law enforcement. Obviously, Mm -hmm. you have your Marine background. I know you've been instructing for 20 something years because I felt that today. But, like, tell us something that you can tell us. (laughs) What famous person or what cool – because you're you're doing security for people that can afford mm-hmm. and need to have security. Like I think of like Joe Rogan. Yeah. Like Joe Rogan can't just walk around town. He's got a whole team, not yeah. like a dude, but like a team. And then before that, I don't know. Do you guys remember – who's the skateboard dude who's got the TV shows on MTV all the time? Oh. Rob and – Yeah.
3: Rob Derek. Derek. Yeah, Deer Dick and Big Robin Big, and that was his security guard, and like ended up being (laughs) his like friend.
1: Uh, But like, when you got any cool stories that you can share without saying names, if you're not,
2: Uh, I don't know. I feel like all my stories are boring, man. It's like I think the thing is, is when you work with, so I I try very much to avoid clients where um, things get rowdy. Okay. Like my favorite types of clients are businessmen. Yep. Or and they got families, and so they're not like going out to the club and doing blow, and they got prostitutes coming over in the sex dungeon or some weird, you know. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I stay away from all that stuff, and and I turn down like work for, um, I, I don't really like working for celebrities. Uh, although the so one you have, yes, I have. Yeah, okay. I've I worked for two celebrities. Both of them have to be in the music industry, so it's, I guess it's. It can get kind of weird. I mean, you got like my first celebrity I had to work for, a list celebrity that I worked for. Um, uh, like TMZ was following us around all over the place, so like having to deal with them and doing all kinds of weird stuff to like trick them, you know, into thinking that like one car has the client deal and one doesn't. And it, so um, I don't like doing that kind of stuff. It's just a pain in the butt. Yeah. Um, and so I, I've been really lucky that you know, there's it's weird. So you have you know people that you call like shit magnets. Like everywhere they go, like something crazy always happens with this person. Uh, I am the opposite of that. Like everywhere I go, it's like everything's just chill. And I've been really Tranquilo. blessed. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think like I've only maybe put my hands on like two people in like sure. my entire career of like six, seventeen years or something like that. Okay. And it was just like one dude who. Um... So at one point, I was doing um, EP for uh, or executive protection for this mega church. Um, but it was like specifically for, uh, the Bishop, it was really weird. It was kind of a weird, controversial church, but it was like, you know, it was an opportunity for me to, you know, do something different. And so this church was kind of funky in how they did stuff. Cause they had these pastors that would like move around to all their mega churches. And so like, you'd have this pastor that would be here for like six months and then he'd get sent to like another one in another state or, in, or another country. Like it's kind of, I, I think they started in like, uh, Brazil or something like that. And, um, so, they would actually have the church. Uh, the church would actually have like a like a living quarters for the bishop and their family to stay. And so, because he stayed there, then we also had to like have not not only just like normal church security for like when you go to church, you have like your dudes that are volunteers. Or like we were actually paid security guys at the church, and it was like the, the big focus was protecting the bishop because then you also had like weird fanatics like threatening to kidnap the wife or the we're going to kill you because you did this to, you know, you, I hate your religion or whatever. Um, and so we, uh, we, it was just a weird situation where a dude came in. It was already late. I think it was like 1130 p.m. Like, like church is closed. Um, but we have 24-7 security there. And then um, there's like a room, uh, small living quarters for the church uh, bishop. And uh, so like that's kind of like where we focus the majority of our security on at night when church is done. And the dude, I think he was just a, uh, drunk, lost, you know, hurt guy that, I don't know, like I think he maybe just wanted to come for answers or something like that. And it, 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 it started out with just like, hey, sir, you know, you can come back tomorrow, church is closed right now. And he started getting all freaking pissed off because he was obviously like very drunk. Um, and uh, next thing I know, like we get into like little fisticuffs. I'm not like punching him, but I'm, you know, I wrapped him up when I, you know, slammed him on the ground and rotated him so he's now he's on his belly. Um, we ended up putting handcuffs on him, and while he had, he was in handcuffs behind his back, I'm asking him, like, bro, like, what are you upset about, man? Like, talk to me. Like, what's the deal? Because at this point now, I'm like, I'm starting to feel bad for this guy. Yeah. Cause we, I mean, I didn't rough him up, like, I wasn't hurting him on purpose. It was just because he was resisting that it forced me to do certain things that hurt him. Um, and I noticed that he had, like, these cuts in his wrist. Oh, no. So I'm like, oh, dude, this sucks, man. So, like, this guy obviously is coming from pain, yeah. you know? Yep. Um, so we had to call uh, LAPD and they took them like 45. I'm, dude, I had my knee on this guy for like 45 minutes. Um, and my partner was there helping me out too. And eventually they came and took the guy away and we never saw him again. So, um, but yeah, like my EP career is like kind of boring. It's, it's not like weird stuff. That's a good thing. Yeah,
1: Honestly, now you do have repetitions of, speaking of Hollywood A-listers, like Mm -hmm. you've been on movie sets yeah. Working with professional actors, basically making sure that they don't look kind of douchey on camera with a gun or whatever, right?
2: Yeah. And yeah. I, I've done a small handful of gigs, um, both in motion picture. I, I haven't done any um, consulting on like big Hollywood productions, but I've done some of the smaller independent film stuff. Um, I've consulted on video games. Yep. Um, where, you know, you have guys running around with guns whatever and so and yeah, like the, the people with the emotion capture suits. Yeah. So we're training them to hold their guns properly and how to walk the look like they've been doing it for twenty something years. Um and then having to craft some level of so certain games have like that, that movie mode in the middle where they're trying to tell a story. There's like a fight that's going on. So then we're crafting a story with the director and the writer about like what's happening and like, well, I want this guy to die and we need to kill him off. Like, what's the best way to do this because of that or whatever and so we kind of help them craft that story and then we rehearse it or you know over the next few days depending on how big that scene is and then they have this room with all these sensors that captures all the dots on their body and then they they record it and animate it yep so yeah i've done a handful of stuff like that in the film industry as well
1: it's pretty cool and so now you're living in uh in california Mm -hmm. doing that um, how are you going to get away and elk hunt someday? Because you haven't elk hunted yet, right? No, no. And that's got to be something we talk about. You're on yeah. the Elk Elkshake podcast. <laughs> uh, Tyler and I will probably share some days in the field in 2024 mm-hmm. at some capacity, whether it be archery elk hunting or uh, him rifle elk hunting and me filming. Yeah. Um, but what about you? Like, do you have any... A uh, plan or strategy to get because here's the deal with elk hunting. Once you finally do it mm-hmm. and you have at least a decent enough experience, you're gonna figure out a way to not miss another season. Sure. And I'm shooting you straight. Yeah. So when is it going to be that inaugural elk
2: hunt? I'm gonna try to make it happen this year. Um and I think what I'm gonna do is and this is probably gonna upset a lot of people, but um I, I would much rather hire a guide that. why would
1: that upset uh, somebody i don't know because <laughs>
2: it's not diy or whatever so, so w- that's
1: ego yeah that's things that cause division in the hunting mm-hmm. space i remember i'm on a campaign united not divided <laughs> that's somebody's ego talking yeah there is nothing wrong with hiring an outfitter especially if you want hire a good one get a good guide vet them yeah call references and more references get a good guide get a great experience yeah and learn like, knock out some of the, the most common mistakes. You won't have to make them. Yeah. You know, and then and, and interrogate your guide every night when you get back to wherever. Why did we zig? Why didn't we zag? What was your thinking here? And you may not even agree with all of his thinking yeah. until he explains it all back at camera. You're like, okay, that makes more sense. You know what I mean? I yeah. fully support that, especially if you have the means. Because you may do what I did and spend all the money on tags. And all the time off from work and go 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005, four seasons. And most of those seasons were like, let's say, th- at least three weeks yeah. of DIY yeah. making every mistake possible. Yeah. So what's your time worth? And you ain't a spring chicken. How old no, are you?
2: 42.
1: You're 42 years young. Do it, man, yeah. I would say. So what state are you thinking?
2: Uh, probably Wyoming. Okay,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. Do you have any points?
2: Uh, I only s- put in for points last year. So I think it'll be one point and then, you know, sometime this year. Um, so yeah, I, I'm barely just getting started.
1: Wyoming Draw is out right now.
2: Yeah. They did change some
1: things again. So if you do hunt with a guide, you can kind of like call them up. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they will um, be in areas that have wilderness. And so a lot of guys like me who are who are DIY aren't going to put in for that unit because I don't have any Wyoming residents to take me, yeah. and I'm not going to hire a guide. Then I'm saying your odds can go up. And then another thing that guides can do is a lot of times they'll have, like, repeat customers or yeah. new people, and maybe you'll have, like, a guy like Tyler mm-hmm. call the same guide up, and he'll be like, hey, I want to hunt with you this year. And the guy's like, cool, do you have any points? He's like, yeah, I got eight. Well, you're going to draw if no matter what with like three for my unit i got this other guy named Damon who's only got one point i'm going to have you two put in together mm-hmm. you're both going to draw and so a lot of times those those outfitters will help coordinate yeah. so that you do have the most odds yeah. and then they do wyoming's got a nice new price tag on the special mm-hmm. are you following all that so, i recently
2: heard about it i don't know what the number is but i think it's anyways.
1: like just under $2000 like 1900 no. 1965 mm-hmm. that includes your application fee for a, the special the special yes. used to be like twelve hundred <laughs> bucks, and I know that because I bought the special in um, twenty twenty mm. and drew nice. with like one or zero points in twenty twenty by just buying the special. Yeah, uh, but I. I'm not going to dive into Wyoming. It's so deep and complicated, but, like, sure, yeah. basically 84% of their elk tags go to residents, 16% go to you guys, non-residents, and then they really cut those 16% into, like, 60% of the 16% will go to regular hmm. price, which is, like, 700 mm-hmm. and then 40% of that 16% yeah. <laughs> goes to the, sp- the special. Yeah. And then they break it down even further into, like, a certain percentage goes to most point holders like 75% yeah. of those non-resident regular and then 25% goes to random. So there is always a chance in Wyoming mm-hmm. that you can draw a rando yeah. whether it be special or not or regular, which is cool, but Wyoming also changed it to where they hold on to your money. They used to like have their draw results out like the next month, which was yeah. super dope for a guy like me who's trying to plan. Now they freaking hold on to your loot till like may Oh, okay so if you're like you don't know if you're going to wyoming till may and it's just i'd love to know what kind of note they do with all your guys's money Mm -hmm. like for five months i bet (laughs) they get some serious interest off all that capital but anyways wyoming's a great state if not one of the best states and you gotta go and if you can haunt a wilderness unit like close to the park I would do that. I've hunted in um right next to Yellowstone. Yeah. In 2007 with my dad with an outfitter. We had to hire him. Yeah. We actually didn't know about the rule. Mm. So we didn't hire this outfitter till like 2 weeks before the hunt because we thought we were just going to be able to hike in 20 miles and and go hunt <laughs> in this wilderness and that rule was made by um Wyoming Outfitter Association. I think they okay. have a play in that where it's in their interest to have that rule. So you can go to a Wyoming wilderness and fish and camp in mm-hmm. sing Kumbaya, but yeah. the second you have a tag, <laughs> a hunting tag, you have to have a resident guide, yeah, which means a resident went to the fishing game office and registered that they're going to be your guide, mm-hmm. or you hire an outfitter and you're with an outfitter. I kind of don't like that because, like, for a lot of reasons, but I'm waiting for somebody to, like, take them to court and like fight that because it is kind of i i could i could be persuaded either way but from my point of view i'm interested in your guys' thoughts is like that's kind of what's the word bullshit that's the word (laughs) like i should be able to go like Uh, hunt in wyoming wilderness if i want you know
3: it seems like it's similar to alaska where Mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of the it's kind of there's not a politically correct way to say it but it's the a way that the outfitters can make sure they still have clients yeah because yeah if if they didn't have that then one year dan and i draw the tags and we're not paying for an outfitter so Mm -hmm. then that outfitter is kind of out of luck for that year i am going to pay for an outfitter to pack out the elk which is is great and uh that's a that's a awesome option if um, if you either don't want an outfitter or can't afford the full fee for the outfitter. Yeah. Um, depending on where you're at, you can get a packer Yeah. that will just pack, that you can literally send him an in-reach, hey, pull down, this is my location, and he'll be there within a, a set amount of time to pick up your meat and pack it back to the trailhead for you. So
1: because of that rule, a lot of the – non-resident dudes that are our diy it kind of mm-hmm. bottleneck them in the yeah. western slope
2: sure
1: and so then wyoming's like all right let's cut the state up into three sections now and so that's what they did new for 2024 mm-hmm. is there's three general areas whereas before you could hunt anywhere that was a general
0: mm-hmm.
1: now there's three designated area zones if you will and that could help disperse people but um i don't know wyoming's special place honestly it's beautiful yeah i i judge places on elk density obviously but like also just pure sexiness like yeah. that that place is country <laughs> that is a sexy state yeah. to hunt and you can kind of get into deep nasty steep mountains thick timber open high plains high desert sage all sorts of stuff but yeah. um yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I'm going to put in for Wyoming, I think. I haven't made a decision yet. I think I'm putting in with a friend who has a lot of points. Okay. But I'm, I'm also going to tell him I just want to swing for the fences. I really don't want to end up with a general in Wyoming. I have other stuff going on this year. Yeah. Um, but a general is good in Wyoming. I just don't know if it's worth 1965 for a general tag. Yeah. But if you look back at the draw odd tables, there's enough people – putting in for it to where mm-hmm. money's not an an obstacle yeah. to where I'm not even convinced at this time of the recording, you're even really getting much of an advantage by willing to spend over a $1,000 more mm-hmm. for the same tag. Yeah. Does that make sense? Okay. What other states are you looking at then?
2: Uh, definitely Texas. Um, and then... For elk? No, that's going to be like Axis deer yeah. and pigs because it's fun. You got, and got friends I, I, there? I do, yeah.
1: That's a key point. I just po- posted a lot of Texas content, and I bet I got—I uh, don't know—double-digit emails, <laughs> double-digit Instagram messages, and YouTube comments of like, "Hey, who's that you went with? I want yeah. their number." And it's like I don't think so. This is a friend. Yeah. This is not an outfitter. If I was in other uh, people's shoes of like, like Tyler, you don't know anyone in Texas, right? Mm-mm. So you would have to pick up the phone. And what I would encourage people is like, don't be afraid to cold call. Somebody who runs an outfit and be like, hey, man, I am not interested in shooting a really big buck, but I know you, I know because Dan Staten told me you got (laughs) MLD tags for a hundred and something does that need to be killed this year. Yeah, I'm willing to pay a fee, I'll only shoot does and unlimited pigs. Can I come down and hunt your place? I'll pay a trophy fee or whatever and get reps in the red zone because that's what Texas was made for. Yeah. That's a great idea. What about for other states, what, uh, elk? are you looking at any other? I
2: think that might be it, because I, mean, I think uh, with my limited time, so like my schedule is just like so weird and crazy. Like I mean, I'm I'm I I don't do a Monday through Friday nights and weekends off and holidays. Like it's, they're at the minimum twelve hour days. Yeah, that's um, rough. And then I've got I've also got a two hour commute, um, you know, round trip. So, with us being as short staffed as we are, I'm pretty much like on the hook for a lot of work this 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 year. So. I'm gonna try to squeeze you. Know, like, if I can do like one elk hunt, I'd be really happy. Like, how much time do you think you could dedicate if you actually yeah. get a
1: Wyoming tag?
2: Yeah, I could probably, if I ended up pulling, if I could squeeze like 10 days or something like that, like I think that's probably doable as long as I know ahead of time that I can get it to you know figure out. Because essentially, if I'm right, absent. would you drive? Yeah, probably. Yeah, is, if I,
3: if, is your 10 days including travel time?
2: uh possibly yeah i think if it's going to be travel time then it has to be 10 days at the minimum yeah yeah
3: so you're gonna
1: yeah you're gonna want an outfitter for that yeah. much more of a reason 100%. so that when you touch down uh get out of the truck you're yeah. ready to go
2: yeah i'm all about shortening my learning curve like it I, it doesn't bother me one bit to learn from other people and when i'm brand new to something i i, I have 100 confidence to be able to say like yeah i don't know what i'm doing man so with me not having as much time um, I need to make use of that. And so I'm going to be able to shorten the learning curve by having the guide. Um, and uh, because I'm, if, if I don't do a crap ton of elk hunts throughout the year, then I can do the one and justify the cost of it. And then I can sprinkle in some of the other hunts throughout the year too.
1: So, Tyler, I want you to help consult him right now live. He doesn't get Wyoming. He doesn't draw, okay, worst-case scenario. But he still wants to get an elk experience. Where, where should he go for that backup?
3: Any ideas? Or Montana. Well, you don't find out when you if you draw until mid May. Mid May. So, so you're, you're not really your, your only in? options are pro- like Colorado and maybe Oregon. Yeah, like Western Oregon, not yeah. Eastern
1: Oregon. No, not Eastern. It's a Western Oregon. So Rosie's Roosevelt elk. Yeah. Um, are you putting in for toolies in your state, building points? Yeah. That's you probably never draw, but yeah, probably <laughs> not.
2: I, I'll be dead probably by the time. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Well, what about uh, my
1: state that you're sitting in right
2: now?
3: Uh, no I've one ever it. talks about our state, <laughs> but we have
1: unlimited over-the-counter elk tags. Yeah.
3: The problem with Washington, and because I live literally next door, and you grew up here, and, and I grew up in here in Elk Washington. In elk Washington. That's the name of the town. <laughs> that's the name of the with town. With me, they now have elk in elk washington but it's primarily private property so Mm -hmm. it's um unless you know somebody or have permission there's no there's no public in elk really the problem is is that there's really good big bull hunting if you draw a tag the problem is drawing the tag is next to impossible for a non-resident so then you're limited if you want unless you want to try and find a a spike in some of these spike only or cow or possibly a cow well would you mind shooting a cow or spike for
1: your first elk see tyler you got to put that lens on of like utah and washington state are the two states that will let you hunt over the counter spike bowl and there's a little nuance there i want you to go over in a second what a true spike is you know or cow and these trophy units so like if I finally draw Utah one day, let's say I draw the San Juan. I have been putting in this for 20-something years. I finally draw. I show up, and you're there. Yeah. And you're, like, ruining my hunt because you're just trying to shoot a cow or a spike, and I'm trying to, like, take advantage of this once-in-a-lifetime, essentially, tag. Yeah. But that's what I got to deal with, and that's something you could do. So you should – backup plan could be Colorado. I think Tyler nailed that one. I mean, it's they're going to change things in Colorado soon, so you might as well – Do it while you can. Or Western Oregon for rosies. And that's a little nuancy, too, because there's a lot of, like, warehouser. Is that how you say it? There's a lot of timber company property that Mm. has elk, but you got to get permits. It's not, like, public land. So you got to look into that. And then Washington State, which is similar to Oregon, we divide our state east-west. So you can't hunt the entire state. So if you're going to go east, you're probably going to be hunting a trophy unit And just hunting a spike or a cow. cow. Or if you're going to go west side Washington, you're going to hunt in the Cascades or true Roosevelt's. When you get into Rosie's, you get into logging country. You got to check yourself on logging permit and access. But you have options is I guess what our point is. No, you're not going to go to Montana and just buy an over-the-counter tag. You used to be able to do that in Idaho. Mm -hmm. Their tags are sold out, you know. Uh, It's all these influencers and their
2: podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) The damn guys.
1: But, no, I wanted to make sure that you knew that it's not Wyoming or bust. Sure, yeah. You should still go and get experience with, I need to learn how to navigate. I need to learn how to, what what gear works, what doesn't. Um, I need to see elk, hear elk. I need to run into other hunters and get pissed off. Like, you need to, like, have all those experiences. Um, Have a bear come into your camp when you're sleeping, you know, all that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. Uh I'm excited for you. Thank you. Yeah. I think Elk Huntington will can and probably will change your life. It certainly has for me.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, talk to him about the true spike thing, cause like that's a little <sighs> new. Do you remember it's,
3: it? I <laughs> well, so when I hunted Washington there wasn't much of the true spike, but a true spike is literally no it's a single antler, no deviation, no nothing more than like an inch on that. Uh, a inch protrusion or larger on that spike is not a true spike and they there are a ton of people that shoot and it has to be both antlers yeah like you can't just l- see half of the half of the antler and be like oh it's a spike, you're good yeah. where the not the areas that it's not a true spike where it's just spike only it's a a single antler on one, So it could be a six by one. That's legal in those areas. In those areas. But the true spike is, which most, basically 99% of the elk, the male elk, their second year are going to be a true spike. After that, it can depend um, on genetics and a whole bunch of other things. But most of the one-year-old male elk will have a true spike. but you're competing with everybody else trying to find those spikes and or cows. But even some of the cow units, they've changed. Yeah. So yep. you just, Here's you,
1: my you, advice for anyone hunting out of state. Like you're from California. I live in Washington. I hunt 90% of the time out of state. Get the written regs sent to your house and read it cover to cover. Yep. Every state's different. And it's almost, if you don't do that, it's going to set you up to break some law unknowingly. Yeah,
2: for and sure. And you don't
1: want to do that. And it's it's honestly, it stresses me out. To I just, you got to know all the rules. So um, I wanted to finish with your Instagram handle. What's the name of it?
2: Uh, so I, have, I have two. Do you want me the to pixel, tell two
1: of them? I like the pixel one. What's that yeah, one? Yeah,
2: so that's uh, pixels.arrows.n.bullets. So it's pixels, arrows, and bullets. And that page is pretty much dedicated to, you know, everything that's not... Uh, really deep into the gun stuff so you'll see all kinds of stuff there i mean right now i think the majority of the content is like me shooting my bow (laughs) yeah (laughs) but you'll see all kinds of stuff on there man like i you know i'm into shooting um you know with my camera you know obviously i like to shoot guns and so you'll see everything from shooting my bow to cooking stuff to diy projects it's it's, i'm one of those weirdos that i have a lot of interests and so i'm really uh i enjoy being a well-rounded person um but although i make a joke about it where it's like i'm it basically means I'm really, really good at not being good at anything. You know, <laughs> I know I know a little bit of a lot of stuff, uh-huh. uh, and no expert, you know, in anything. And so, but it allows me to be, I guess, like a bigger asset. I think uh, in the overall like, you know, landscape.
1: What camera did you pick up?
2: Uh, right now, I'm shooting with um, a. It's a full frame camera. It's the six D Mark II. Canon so, guy, huh? Yeah, it's it's old school. So eventually, I'll, I'll upgrade when I can justify spending the money on it. I just have too many other expensive oh, hobbies. That's <laughs> a
1: sweet full frame that can yeah. do everything you'd ever want photography-wise, and yeah. then some. That's awesome. And then with the bow thing, you were shooting East Axis, long range, 4 millimeters. Is that what you're shooting today? Yes. And you had tack veins on there. And then mm-hmm. Tyler bust out his Ultra Arrows, and he's got tack veins on it. Yeah. So tack boys, tell me about <laughs> tack veins a little bit. I haven't used them yet, but yeah. what, what's your guys' thoughts? Tyler, you're new to them. You've been using them. What do you guys think?
3: I'm brand new, and I've only shot them a couple of times. Uh, they seem to be fine. Uh, the only thing I didn't like about them was fletching with them. They weren't as easy to work with as AAE, which is the only other real one that I've been working with lately. So um, it just was a little bit more difficult to get them on the arrow correctly. Gotcha. That's yeah. the, That's the only complaint I have with them so far.
2: Yeah, I, I I'm a big fan of them. I like them a lot. Um, I because I've used both the Bitsen Bitsenberger jig uh, as well as the Arizona Easy Fletch. Mm-hmm. and for me, I haven't had any issues with either. Oh, really? Um, I think the only weird thing, and of course, like it, it, I learned something a little bit different, was that with the Arizona Easy Fletch, usually you know, you'll kind of do like that pull or whatever twist, and then you kind of let go of it, and it's, the pedals like slap up into the yeah. on the shaft, and that will sometimes kind of make your veins like crooked. Yeah. Right. It's like one higher than the other. So whatever. Be a little so, more delicate. Yeah. I've just kind of just gently just moved it up and it that allowed me to be able to get them pretty straight. But yeah, I, still so use, I still use the Bitsenburger mostly.
1: Why did, you, why did you gravitate to four millimeter arrows? Because Tyler's never ran four mils
3: till this mm-hmm. year. There's always about five or the 204s? Uh, the 204s oh, I'm sorry, is the, what uh, I've been. So five, five mil. Yeah. Five mil for the
1: okay. most part. Now he's trying four mils just to see what all the, you know, a lot of guys don't. <laughs> don't like four mils just because they are paying the butt with the components or whatever but that's very true but what are what are you running for components on your four mil
2: yeah so right now currently it's mostly all easton access stuff or yeah easton stuff so like obviously the easton shafts um the at the front where i have the uh, half out it's the stainless steel 95 grain easton Mm -hmm. um and then as far as on the back end i have uh easton uh, knock, what is it? A knock bushing? A
1: pin knock, or a, yeah, I like yeah, yeah. It's knock like a knock bushing.
2: bushing. Yeah, yeah, so I, I have one of those back there. Um, they definitely don't work as great as knock, an actual pin knock.
1: What does it weigh?
2: Uh, I think f- three or four grains. Okay, so, so not it's not bad. A, it's not a ton. Yeah. No wrap, or do you wear? A wrap? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I've got Tac veins uh, wrap on there as well. Okay. And so with my current setup now, because I, I I shoot mechanicals, and so I don't have to worry about my arrow like being too short. So I try to have my arrow fairly short. Yeah. So. The shaft is, you know, from, from end to end is 26 and a quarter. What's your total um, arrow weight? Uh, I think something like fi- 450 something. It's not crazy heavy.
1: I feel like they got to be heavier than that, man. I feel like with the 90 grain half out mm-hmm. they, and your arrows being longer than mine and you're running a bushing and you're running a wrap, my exact same arrows are shorter yeah. and I'm running that titanium half out. With 55 grains, my total arrow weight is like 445.
2: Is it really? Okay. So you're
1: probably, I would say you've got to be close to five.
2: I just, Yeah, I, I know it's no more than 480. Okay, fair. For sure. So I think the last time I, I mean, unless I did something weird where maybe the, the end of the arrow wasn't like completely flush and it was kind of hanging off the scale or something like that. Sure. But, so we're talking about somewhere between 450 to 470. I don't think it's any higher
1: That's than that. That's not crazy. No. Yeah. Now, what mechanical are you using?
2: So uh, I'm working with a company. I mean, like I just kind of know the guy. He's a really cool dude. Um, it's called uh, Triple Point, and so he's got a really cool um, mechanical where it's the blades are f- they when they fold down, you they're held in by magnets. Okay. And so um, it takes about I think he said it was like three pounds of pressure or something like that to, to get them to flip out. Oh. And so there's no bands, no collar, yeah, no collar, none yeah, no, no, like of that stuff. It's just magnets. Yeah. Okay. So there are stories where I guess people had.
1: Is it three blades that open or? Four? Uh, two blades. It's two, two blades.
2: blades, but at the very front is also like a chisel tip that the, that's also replaceable, which is cool too. Okay. And then he also makes um. It's called what? Triple. Uh, triple point.
1: Triple point. I'll yeah. have to check it out. It's cool. Yeah.
2: So the, then the front is replaceable, and then if you want to have if you want to use them for turkey, then he's got a thing called a turkey foot, mm-hmm. where you just replace the head, and instead of a chisel tip, it's like a three prong blade that comes out, where it's got like the middle prong is longer and the other ones are shorter, so that kind of helps slow the arrow down during the penetration. Nice. So I've got a few of those as well.
1: Tyler's going to try some new broadheads this spring on bears. Did you settle in on Slick Trick Standard, Viper Trick, Wicked Trick,
3: (laughs) (laughs) Revival, or the Uh, S3? I haven't. I haven't. uh, I got to shoot them, and then we'll figure it out from there.
1: That'll be cool. Yeah. I don't know what I'm... I'm trying to test everything, and it's like there's hundreds... Maybe there's thousands of broadheads out there. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so I don't know right now. I got a lot of love for Iron Will.
2: Sure, yeah. Um, I've got a few of those, too.
1: Yeah. I got a lot of love for them. Uh, well, I'm still – I have a meeting with Bill from Iron Will on Friday. Okay. It, and it has nothing to do with what I'm going to say, but I'm going to bring it up. Every time I talk to him, <laughs> I'm like, hey, will you design <laughs> me a three-blade in yeah. your material, your heat processes, your beautiful engineering mind? He'll say no, but I'm going to keep bugging him, but it's cool. We'll do. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, absolutely, man. I appreciate your expertise, and you are a phenomenal coach. Thank you. Seriously. Great instructor, and I can't wait to put to practice, and I love that you taught me so much stuff that I don't have to go to the range, and I feel like i got to spend more time, and it challenged me to know my equipment. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I have my hunting partner here who I know is going to put the work in as well, which is awesome. Not only the safety side of things, truly, like we've spent all our time there first but just seeing what he's working with holster wise and where his position is and how he needs to be efficient and vice versa uh, I'm excited about that man now that camera guy though he's got a lot (laughs) you might have to fly back up and give him some more lessons yeah and and anytime
2: man. you you, if you want to reach out and some some of the things I do for my students sometimes too I don't do that often just because it takes a lot of time but I'll even have them set up a camera and film them drawing and then I, I put it in this app where it allows me to watch your stuff in slow motion, and then I can start, like, actually drawing on the video and saying, well, this angle of you, your mag coming up into the mag wall is kind of crooked, and that's why you stumbled and didn't insert it very smoothly. Or you were just you pulled your, your gun out of the holster a little too far, and so you were inefficient with your movements. And so those are the things that we could definitely do to kind of help you continue to sharpen your skills.
1: That's awesome. Well, guys, check the show notes. I'll put a link to his Instagram. Check out that. And then um, tomorrow we're going to get a workout in. Yeah, I'm going to die. Shoot some bows and uh, (laughs) send you on your way to fly home and go back to work. So appreciate your time, man.
2: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
1: Awesome, guys. Remember, separation is in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. Today's podcast brought to you by PeaksEquipment.com. They have a whole bunch of cool, new, innovative products dropping in 2024. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. They have the Peaks Duo Headlamp, which is arguably the best headlamp on the market. It's rechargeable. It's micro USB-C. It has two lights, red or white. You have three settings per light. And you can make sure that it won't turn on in your backpack by holding it down for a few seconds. It is the most versatile headlamp. They also make sissy sticks. I recommend the Elites with the cork handle. They also have the Storm Castle Gators. This is a great company. Discount code ELKSHAPE, 10% off. Check out peaksequipment.com.